Well, I must say, I'm so thankful to be in a church that likes to share. You know what I mean? I mean, you really like to share, man. We share our food, we share our time, we share laughs, we share, we cry sometimes, we share that, and sometimes we share colds. <laughs> so anyway, it's been interesting, because we've been here two years and I hadn't even, haven't had this, right? So it's kind of cool. Anyway, um, it's not really. But any, everybody doing all right out there? Everybody doing good? All right, listen close, because it's a... Uh, I don't know how my voice is going to hang on here, so it'll be good. So uh, I have a really good word this morning for each and every one of you this morning, and I pray in my heart that you, whoever gave me the Snickers, thank you so much. Chocolate treat. That's so good. And I'm going to eat it to the glory of God. (laughs) Amen. That's right. Maybe later I'll show you how to eat it to the glory of God. Right now. Now, that would be mean. That would be mean. Anyway, um, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God has a lot he wants to share with us this morning in his word. I pray you have your little note sheets and you can, uh, and you can take some good, serious notes. I pray that you've been doing that. We've been going through the book of Acts, and Acts is just amazing going through it. I've learned so much as I've been going along in it myself. And uh, I am so grateful for all the different principles and precepts that it teaches us. But it shows a church that's on fire. You know what I mean? It shows a church that's filled with the Holy Spirit. Because that's the only way the church can thrive is by the presence and the power of the Spirit of God. That's the only way it's going to go. That's the only way, gonna go. That's the only way that you're going to be able to do the things that God wants you to do. Is the Holy Spirit's got to lead you, direct you, and guide you to do that very thing. And so this morning as we go into his word, you know, we've been talking about different things like how to get conflict under control. Remember that a few weeks ago? Well, we talked about we're too blessed to be what? Stressed. That's so true. Last week we talked about making decisions. Making decisions. And so uh, this week it'll be a little bit different. As about, it's going to be about that each one of us have a voice. Each one of us have a voice. And God expects you and depends on you to use it for him. And so we're going to kind of see how Paul did that this morning. Father, we thank you for the holy name of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that we're saved only by the precious blood of Jesus. There's no other way a person can come to the knowledge of the truth of who Jesus is except by Jesus himself. Lord, you died on a cross. You shed your precious blood to wash away every sin stain. Lord, there's no mediator between God and man except the man, the God-man, Christ Jesus. Lord, you died, you suffered, and you rose on the third day. Lord, we can come to you with open minds and open hearts and just throw it out there to you, Jesus, and you take it all. Lord, you've taken everything, Lord, for all of us here. Some of us know it, and some of us don't. And I wish that the ones that don't would come to know it this morning. I pray that they would say, Jesus, I realize finally that you took it all for me. And they would lay their life down for you. They would just give it up. Tax, title, license, everything. So, Lord Jesus, just direct my lips this morning, my mind, my thoughts. Lord, that there be your thoughts and your mind and your lips. And, Lord, speak through my heart, uh, Lord, today. Speak to these uh, dear saints of God. 
And that's my prayer. There's someone here that doesn't know you, Jesus, the Savior. They've never trusted. There's never been a time in their past where they bow their head and say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you shed your blood personally for me. And, Lord, I receive your free gift of salvation. And I believe you rose from the dead. And, Lord, that you would cause them to repent and turn around and chase after you with their whole heart. I pray, Lord, that that happens this morning to them. I pray, Lord, that we would have ears to hear and eyes to see exactly what you have for us this morning. Lord, we give you praise for your presence here. We give you praise for your power that's manifested through your precious word. And may it touch every heart. May it touch every soul and every mind. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said what? Amen. Amen. That's the truth. And you know, last week we talked about Thessalonica, right? A city. Uh, we talked about the Bereans. Uh, Berea. Uh, we talked about uh, who we're supposed to be the most like. Who should we be the most like? The Bereans, exactly right, because, man, they listened, right? They examined the Scripture very intently. They want to make sure that what Paul and Silas and Timothy, what they were all telling them, or Paul and Silas was telling them, was exactly the truth of God's Word. So they examined it. So those are great lessons for us, that you should never take the guy that's standing up here's word for anything. Uh, you should always examine it through the, through the uh, pages, the windows of the Scripture of the Word of God to make sure it is absolute truth for yourself. I've seen too many people to go to church and they won't open and read their Bible or follow the pastor or priest or whatever it is. And I've had friends uh, who uh, would not, they would not even take it. They depended on somebody else to do it for them. And uh, they could say whatever they wanted and it might be wrong and they would never know it because they didn't have the scriptures in front of them. So I just want to encourage you, uh, the scriptures are the mind of God. They're the will of God. They're God's precepts, his, his rules for living. Word of God, read it for yourself. Listen, let God speak to you through the power of his word. And I would encourage you to do that. So we saw last week that Paul had traveled through the, uh, with, uh, in, in Thessalonica, uh, also in Berea. And then he leaves Berea and goes down to where? Athens, right? And he goes down to Athens. So in Athens, the people believe that man is great. Uh, they were, they were uh, what I call intellectuals. This is, this is funny, honey. <laughs> this is happening to me right now. So anyway, and I'll tell you, you'll see here later on, uh, that they were intellectuals. They worshipped that. They worshipped humanity. That's what they did. They worshipped humanity. It, in fact, in fact there's a, there was a philosopher by the name of Protagoras. He, and he, had this, uh, he had this motto or statement. He said, man is the measure of all things. And that's the way the Athenians lived. That's the way the Greeks lived. They said they believe that all things are measured by man, or man is great. But here's the thing is what I love about Athens and Paul. Paul comes to Athens with a whole different message. One that they never heard of, right? His message was God is great. God is great. God is the measure of all things. God is everything. And that's what he did. And they had so many gods, but this idea that Paul shared was much, much different. He saw, in fact, that they were a religious people, but they were misdirected, misguided. Remember last week, the altar to the unknown God, the agnostics, agnosticism. It, it was there. They believed that there was something there, but they couldn't be realized, couldn't, couldn't knowing and know, know who that God was. 
Paul explained to them that God is what? He's the creator of all things. Everything that they saw, God created everything. He's not only created everything, he sustains all things. Everything is sustained by God. Even this very hour, this very moment, this very second, what's going on here, God sustains everything. Everything. And I praise the Lord for that. That's good. Not only that, did he state he's the ruler of all. He is the ruler. And one day, he's going to be the judge of all. He is the judge of all. And listen, and Paul introduced the judge of all was Jesus Christ, the perfect God-man. And proof was that he was raised from the dead. And Paul explained that to him, and this was just so mind-boggling for them. They didn't understand that. Now Paul goes to Corinth after he leaves Athens. He, he, he goes out there. There's a little picture I have up here of Corinth. If you could throw that up there, brother. Corinth was the capital region in Greece. It was connected to Achaia. It's uh, the city of Corinth. If you see up there uh, where the circle is, that's where you would find the city of Corinth up there. I got a little closer view of it uh, here later. But anyway, I just want to talk about this slide right here. You look at Greece, you see where Athens is up there on the right-hand side. And you got the, well, there's a little, that little line, that red line inside the circle is the Isthmus. And that's where Corinth is. And it was a trade city. And then that trade city, you notice there's a sea on one side, on the north side, and one on the south side there. You see the sea? Open sea. Well, listen, if a ship came down in there, guess what? The, to get to the other side, they'd have to do what? They'd go all the way around, right? So you know what they did back then? They would take the ship and the ships, and they would unload the ships down there where that red line was, right? And you see on the bottom there's a canal. Well, back then there wasn't a canal. There was a roadway. And they would unload the ships, and then they would drag the ships up on the land. And three and a half miles, they'd come across that isthmus right there. And then they'd put the ship back in the water, load it back up. Three and a half miles. Otherwise, they'd have to go 207 miles around treacherous ocean. And, that's, and so, so rather than do that, they'd drag that boat across there. Well, it, it was just an amazing thing. So, so we see that. So it was just very hard to get around to do that. But listen, in AD 67, Nero had the idea of putting in a canal. So in 67 A.D., he started to, and it was so much rock. You had to, I mean, chisel it out. It was the rock. If you saw this thing today, and I'll show it to you here in a minute. But anyway, in A.D. 67, they started building the canal. They didn't finish it till 1893. Yeah, very, very big deal. It was a very big deal. And so we see this, and we see this here. So uh, if you go to the next picture for me, you can kind of see it a little bit there. See Corinth, there's Corinth in the far top left is actually the city of Corinth. And you can see the canal that goes straight line, straight across. And it's got these, these huge crevice, these huge crevice cliffs, rock cliffs, rocky cliffs. Very high, very steep, very steep. And they would go, and they go through there, and that's what they do today, as a matter of fact. So Corinth, now I want to describe the city. It was larger than Athens. In fact, Corinth at that time was 20 times larger than Athens, Greece. Now, Corinth is, uh, was on a main trade route. It's a very popular place. It had over 200 to 300,000 people lived there. And as we continue, you will see <laughs> Paul has been the preacher of preachers. In spite of all the adversity that, listen, he continues to press forward. Corinth had a reputation, though. It had, had a reputation for some good things, but it also had a reputation for some bad things. The first, listen, the first thing I want to talk about Corinth had a, was known for was its bronze works. It's bronze they would make and hammer out bronze, and they would do that. And, uh, and uh, in fact, if you remember, 
Uh, in the Bible, it talks about Gate Beautiful in Jerusalem at the Temple Mount. Gate, you know, where the blind beggar was, like, was set there. He had Gate Beautiful every day, and Peter and them came by, and silver and gold have I none, but what I give to you in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. Well, that beautiful gate was 75 feet tall, and it was made of bronze, Corinthian bronze. Uh, bronze, is where, bronze is where it came from. Also, the second thing Corinth, uh, Corinth is known for is its architecture. Corinthian columns, Corinthian pillars, certain styles of architecture. It was very well known for that. And the third thing Corinth was known for is its sports. Uh, they used to have games uh, there in Corinth, and they were second to the, uh, to the Olympic Games. They're called the Ismithian Games. That's the tongue twister. But anyway, but, uh, but they were second to that. But, if you, but here's the thing. The biggest thing that Corinth was known for, though, was its immorality. It was known for debauchery, like on the highest level. Uh, if you were called a Corinthian, it was derogatory. <laughs> One who demonstrates loose living or immoral living. Why? Because, listen, on top of the mountain in Corinth, was a, uh, uh, you know, they had the Parthenon in Athens, Greece, right? This sits on top. And I've been to the Parthenon. It's pretty big. But the, but the Parthenon they had on top of this, on uh, their little hill, <laughs> was five times larger than the one in Athens. And it would house a thousand priestesses, they would call them. But in all actuality, they were all prostitutes. And what they would do, because that was such a big trade route, they would come from the mountain down the hill, and they'd come into the city, and they would do their work. And that's how they raised money to support the temple and all that stuff on top of that mountain. And so, and that's, and so this is what Corinth was known for. So sometimes they would use that. It was almost like, you know, it was just terrible. They worshiped the Greek god Aphrodite, the goddess of love. And so if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul kind of writes a little bit about Corinth. Uh, he really gets on their case for several, probably six, seven, eight chapters in the first of Corinth because there's so much of this junk that they're bringing in to the churches and into church. And so he says here in verse 9 of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, don't you know, he's talking to these Corinthians who we're talking about that live here, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? He says, do not be deceived. Now this is God's word, folks. And what God says, he what? He means. <laughs> That's right. What God says, he means. And what he means, he says, right? And so, and so take this into your heart and think about this, right? He says, do not be deceived. He says, no sexually immoral people, no idolaters, adulterers, or anyone practicing homosexuality, no thieves, greedy people, Drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. And some of you, he says, used to be like this. But you were washed. Notice the past tense. You were washed, right? You were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Listen. Think about this. Think about this practice. Think about these things. These things. He says, you were that way. You're no longer that way. Or he's maybe telling him, hey, you better stop. If you're, still, if you're still traveling in these areas, you got something wrong. Something wrong with your salvation. Something wrong with you spiritually. Something is wrong there. You should be putting this stuff away. This should not be part of your life. See, Corinth was considered to be like the Las Vegas of its time. That's what it was. 
And so basically, whatever happens in Corinth, what? Stay. <laughs> That's right. See, you all know that very well, don't you? <laughs> I think you all been to Vegas before, right? So, hey, listen. So what I want us to do is let's pick up in Acts 18, starting in verse 1. And let's go through and let's see uh, how Paul deals with the Corinthians here a little bit. It says, after this, he left Athens and he went to Corinth where he found a what? A Jewish man named Aquila and a, na a native of Pontus who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul came to them and being of the same occupation stayed with them and worked for they were what? Tent makers by trade. You see, Paul worked with leather. Paul was a tent maker. He worked with leather, and those tents were made of leather and goat hair, and he would work with that. You know why? Because when he was a young boy, Jewish fathers would train their children, their young boys, to have a trade. They needed to have a trade. They would teach them to have a trade, to teach and to work. So, so when he grew up, he would teach and work. This is why Paul could preach. And then he would work being a tent maker. There was a Jewish saying back then that if you do not teach your sons to work, you would teach your sons to steal. And that's an interesting statement, right? In the synagogues, listen, this is really kind of cool too. In the Jewish synagogues, if you would come in and you would sit down, what would happen in the synagogue? Everyone would sit in specific locations. Yeah. But it was different back then. It's not like today, you know. It's not all this ownership stuff like, this is my space. This is my place. This is, why are you in my seat? It better not be, it better ne I better never hear those words in this sanctuary, right? That's my seat you're sitting in. No, no. That will never happen here, right? Amen. amen. It never happened here. That was kind of a weak amen. But anyway. So, but anyway. <laughs> but anyway. But I hope that never happens here. But anyway, listen, think about this. Think about it. This is really cool. But in the synagogues back in that day, everyone would sit in specific locations. Bricklayers would sit with, sit with bricklayers. Carpenters would sit with carpenters. And, true, and tent makers would sit with tent makers. So we're thinking that possibly this is how probably Paul met Aquila and Priscilla, by sitting with them in the synagogue, possibly. Possibly, I don't know, there's no actual proof on that, but uh, I kind of have an idea that could be. Uh, they, uh, so they became lifelong friends, the Bible is teaching us. One reason is because, listen, they risked their necks for the gospel. Aquila and Priscilla risked their necks for the gospel. And we'll see uh, in the next chapter and later on. It says, uh, so anyway, so as we go ahead, history shows where Claudius, remember the emperor Claudius sent all the Jews in mass out of Italy. Riots broke out in Rome because of what? Because of a Jew named Crestus, or a mispronunciation of Christos, which is Jesus Christ himself. And so when we look at so, so how did the Christians come to Italy? That's what I want to know. How did the Christians come to Italy? But if you remember, go back, we've gone through the book of Acts. What was it Jesus told his disciples to do when he ascended into heaven? You all remember what he, he told them to do? He told them to go where? He said, go into Jerusalem, right, and wait. For who? The Holy Spirit to come. Oh, you guys are excellent. Very good. It's for the Holy Spirit to come. And did the Holy Spirit come? Oh, yeah. The Holy Spirit came, right? And so, and we call that day what? Pentecost. Oh, man, you guys are so good. So we call it Pentecost, right? So think about what happened. So, so during this time of Pentecost, remember, is, there was a feast going on. 
called the Feast of Weeks or Feast of Harvest. So what happened during the Feast of Weeks, which would last for weeks, right, people would come from all over the place, from the four corners of the globe, if they were Jewish, and they would come into Jerusalem, and they'd celebrate these festivals. And there were several festivals throughout the year that they would celebrate. But this one here, man, they would all gather by hundreds of thousands of people in Jerusalem. So when Pentecost came to the 120 up in that room, there was not just them, but they said all the people were listening to people speak in their own what? Languages of where they came from. So what happened then? So then we know later on in Acts, what, too, when Peter preaches, how many people get saved? Like 3,000 people get saved. And then Peter preaches later on again, and what, 5,000 more people get saved. So you're talking 8,000 people, not counting women and children. These are men. So there's a lot of people getting saved. There's thousands of people being saved because of the Holy Spirit's movement. The church is birthed. Everything's happening. And we're, man, we're studying through. That's why we're walking through this. Because, listen, we need to take on this example. We need to see that this is what God designed for his church to be. And so as we go through this, it's just an amazing thing to see this. So, so here they are. They're sitting there. And I just lost my train of thought where I was. Huh. Oh, okay, cool. But anyway, so here they are. They're in their Feast of Weeks, and their Jews would get saved. And this is what happened is the Jews got saved. So what happened when, it was, when the festival was over? They all went home. Back to where? Rome, Italy, right? Some of them. And they go back to Rome, Italy, and what did they know? They were saved. And what story did they share? The gospel, right? The death and burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, Right? And they're sharing this. So people are getting saved, not just through the apostles, but also through, through other folks that were there that heard. And it's an amazing thing to see. And so now Claudius, which created a ruckus in Italy, because now you have the gospel being presented. People are getting saved. you got the Judaizers over here that are, like, denying Jesus Christ. And so you got a lot of argument and a lot of fussing and feuding going on. And he didn't want to deal with it. So he just got, like, excommunicate all of them, say, get out of here. And they left. And so this is where uh, Achille and Priscilla wound up in Corinth. And so this is where they're at. So look at verse 4. And it it says that uh, Paul stood up in the synagogue on the Sabbath. He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to what? Persuade both Jews and Greeks. Notice there's Jews and Greeks in the synagogue. Here we see Paul preaching Jesus to who? The Jews first. He always stuck to his format. Jews first, Jews first, Jews first. But it's going to (laughs) change. And you're going to see it here. Also, there were Greeks in there. Now, the Greeks that sat in there would sit in the back seats. And the reason they sat in the back seats, they were called God-fearers. They probably had not been circumcised yet. So they were just, they were believers, but they just, you know, they hadn't, gone through the rituals that the Jews would go through. So we look at verse 5. It says, when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, back where Paul was, Paul was occupied with what? Preaching the message. What's the message? The gospel message. He was reasoning with them. He was sharing Old Testament scriptures. He was sharing probably those 340 uh, prophetic uh, prophecies in the Old Testament to show that Jesus, in fact, is the Messiah. And that's what he's sharing with them. Jesus told them to share that. He taught his disciples to share that. Remember in Acts when we talked about Jesus opened their eyes to see the Old Testament prophecies to show that he was, in fact, the truth of all these prophecies being fulfilled. 
And so that's what we see. And so that's, a, that's why it's so cool for us to sit here and go through that and to, and to listen and, and to look at the Scriptures and look at the Old Testament. That's why the Bereans wanted to examine the Scriptures. Why? Because they wanted to read those prophecies that Paul was speaking of because he was a rabbi. He knew. He knew. And he was trying to open their eyes to see, get the scales off their eyes so they could see. And don't you know that probably burdened Paul a lot when they didn't see, when they refused to see. When they were hard-nosed, when they were, had tunnel vision, they wouldn't see nothing else. That's a good lesson for some of us, right? Sometimes we, don't, we only see one way, you know? And we, we get so stuck in seeing one way <laughs> that we miss everything that's around that God wants you to see. So it's something to think about. Anyway, so here they are. So Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia. Paul was occupied with preaching. The message, they saw him and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. Paul was a communicator and a preacher and a teacher of the word to persuade people to believe what? And follow Christ in his word. That's what Paul did. That's what I do. That's what some of your teachers here do. We preach to prepare you for what? For life and how to live. Not just life itself, but how to live. How do you live? How do you live here, but how do you live hereafter? That's most important, how you live hereafter. They're both equally important. I believe you need to live right down here. You need to live the way the Bible teaches us to live. And we should never compromise that, ever. I'm not saying we don't ever mess up, fall down every night. It should not be an intentionally sin, 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 sin. Oh, Lord, forgive me. Sin, forgive me. Sin, forgive me. Sin, forgive me. No, 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 no. You just can't. It just doesn't work that way. What you, what you do is you trample on the blood of Jesus when you do that. You abuse the grace of God. Listen, the seriousness of what Jesus did on the cross to save you should be enough to get you to listen to say, oh, Lord, what you did for me was incredibly awesome. I don't deserve it, but Lord, you gave your life for me, and I understand that now. And I ask you into my heart, to my life. When you do that, listen, what you're saying is, you're not only getting saved, but you're saying, Jesus, I want you to save me, but not only save me, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want to follow you, Jesus. I, I, want, to sh- I want to share your example. I want, to, I want to share you because you rescued me from where I could not rescue myself. None of us in this room can rescue ourselves. Ever, ever, ever. You cannot do enough right things because it's not about doing. It's about being. It's about being in the way, in his way. It's about being covered by the blood of Jesus. That's why he was sinless and died on the cross. He took your sin and my sin. He became sin so that we could have the righteousness of Christ applied to our life. But we have to exchange our life for his life. Without that exchange, <laughs> there's nothing. There's no, no salvation. And sometimes we, we just think differently in this culture, like we can sin and get away with it. And we can continue sinning and living in sin after sin after sin and thinking that, that we're okay. When God's word teaches us, it's not. You, you heard me read what I read as opening scripture. He said, who will not be in heaven? So we got to take it, and I love y'all. I listen, I know it's quiet in here. But listen, it's so true. So we're going to pull up our bootstraps here. We're going to think about what we're doing and how we're living our life. Are we following Jesus? 
Or are we not following Jesus? If we're not, then you're far from God and where God wants you to be. It's so, so, so important, so important. My heart's desire for you, listen, for all of you, is to preach Jesus. But before you can preach Jesus, you've got to make sure your life is pure. And it's only purified by what? By Jesus. But that means you've got to get underneath his blood. You've got to get underneath his scripture. Not just his blood. You've got to get underneath his scripture. It was the scripture that saved you. It was the word of God that saved you. So you have to get underneath the word of God and let God, listen, let God shape you and make you into his image. The goal is to be like Jesus at the end of your life. To be perfected like him and one day we will be. Doesn't mean we're perfect automatic, but it means we work our way through it. We work our way through it and we get to that aspect as we live each and every day. I'm still working through it. It's not easy all the time. Look at verse 6. He says, but when they resisted Paul, when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook his robe and told them, your blood is on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles because they would not listen. They're looking for a king to sit on a, a horse, to sit on a throne, and they're not, they don't want to listen to a suffering servant. But that's how he came. And even to this very day, the Jews have, have not yet dealt with that, most of them. There are some that have. He says, this is what he says, he says, you, he says, you bear the responsibility for your own actions or inactions. The blood is on your heads. Verse 7, so he left there. It says, and he went to the house. Listen to what he did. He walks out. This, it's like, if I got mad at y'all, and I go stomping out, and he went next door to the house next door. That's what he did. That's what, I mean, that's what I read here. So he left there, and he went to the house of a man named Titius Justice, a worshiper of God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Man, you know what? He, he, I mean, he was aggravated. He was discouraged. He was mad. He was, he, and he's shaking his clothes and said, your blood's on your hands. I'm out of here. And he's walking out the doors, and he goes to the neighbor's house. But here's a very important principle. I want you to see the principle here. Here's an important principle. Get this, y'all. Everybody, get this. Draw a circle around yourself. Get this. If you proclaim and embrace Jesus, you will meet opposition every time. Just like Paul. Listen, his apostleship brought hardship. And those two ships go together. And we need to think about that. We go through discipleship where we learn this is part of it here. Small groups part of it. When we're together doing things together, that's all part of it. Discipleship leads us to apostleship. The sense of the word apostle means one who is sent, sent out. So your discipleship turns into a sent out because we are all sent out. We're all, we're all to what? Go into the world, right? And make what? Make disciples. That means that you're sent out to do that. So we're sent out to do that, and when we do that, listen, then you're kind of like an apostle, so it's like an apostleship, so to speak, but you're going to be met with hardship. I had an evangelist guy that I, I know, uh, Greg Steer, he, would, he, he said this to a bunch of youth pastors one time. He said, 
if discipleship is not dangerous, it's not discipleship. And it's something to really think about. Hmm. So here's the principle. So if you are sent out, that is discipleship. Leads to apostleship being sent out, being a vocal witness. You are to be a vocal witness. The other ship that sails with you besides discipleship is hardship, and you will get flack. If you want everybody, listen, if you want everybody to be like you all the time, to like you, if you want everybody to like you all the time, then don't be a witness. Don't be a Christian. If you're okay with not everybody loving you and just want the love of God and family of God and it's enough for you, then love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all that you are. Love God with everything that you are. I promise you, it's going to bring hardship. You know why I like to say that? Because, listen, after all, going to heaven is much better than the alternative of going to hell. And once you leave this planet, once your breath escapes you, you've made your decision. It's too late after that. No one can pray you out of there. There's nothing in the Bible about somebody praying you out of hell. That never happens. There's no scripture anywhere that talks about that. We're here for the specific reason of making a decision, like walking through that doorway. Life is like that doorway. You make your decisions, you walk through it. Once you're on the other side, you're there. The decision is up to Jesus then. And you made it for him. <laughs> he didn't have to decide because he says, down here when we're lost, he says we're judged already. <laughs> That's hard, isn't it? This is, this is hard sometimes. So a Christian witness will mean you will have hardship because of your witness. We live in an anti-Christ society, an anti-Christ world where the prince of the power of the air rules over the earth and he's got people blinded, he's got people blinded, they can't even see the light of truth. That's why the word has to hit them. The word hits them and the word, pray that the word takes the scales off their eyes and opens their hearts and let the word go in there and change their hearts and their lives. We've got to share it. And when we don't share it, then they don't hear it. And if they don't hear it, they can't get saved. In verse 8, it says, Crispus, listen to this, after he left, right? So Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed the Lord, <laughs> along with his whole household. It says, many of the Corinthians, when they heard, they believed and were what? Baptized. So there were many in that fellowship that did get baptized, including the leader of the synagogue. So I want to tell you something to encourage all of you. Number one, this goes in your blank. What you say matters. What you say matters. It does matter, for good or for bad. Your voices, our voices, all matter in this world. God gives us a voice and it matters. And it matters what's, what we say. We, we need to be saying things that edify, 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 edify. Edify who? Jesus. Edify, listen, fellow man, fellow woman. Edify, edify. We need to stop tearing down. We need to edify. That's what God wants us to do, edify. Lift him up. Hmm. Something happened after this happened with Paul. 
And it's interesting to see this here because these people get saved, the guy next door gets saved, but then all of a sudden Paul becomes um, a little disturbed. Paul becomes discouraged. Paul is really, God, like to throw in the towel to give up. Paul was weary and weak and fearful. And how do we know this? Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm going to show you how. Remember, where we're where, uh, where we located at this morning? We're in Corinth. Paul writes his letter to who? The Corinthians. I want you to see how he talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. He says, when I came to you, brothers, I do like my students. Everybody got it? Say, got it. <laughs> when I came to you, brothers, announcing the testimony of God to you, he says, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. Listen to Paul. Listen to him. For I didn't think it was a good idea to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now look at verse 3. He says, I came to you in what? Weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. My speech and my proclamation were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with what? A powerful demonstration by the Spirit. It's God. It's not Paul. It's God. It's all God. Same needs to be for you. So that your faith may not be based on what? Men's wisdom, but on what? <laughs> I like this. Not God's wisdom, but God's power in his wisdom, right? God's power. I like that. Now let's look at what the Lord said to Paul back in Acts 13. Look at verse 9. Look at what he says here. Acts 13, verse 9. <laughs> look at what he said he says then the lord said to paul in a night vision that's interesting because you know the lord came to paul like four different times in a very supernatural way remember the damascus road experience where he got saved right and here we see where he's coming to him here in a night vision we saw another chapter uh, back where he came to him again um very interesting to see how jesus comes in the middle of his discouragement right what does Jesus say to Paul? He says, don't be, what, afraid. He said, but keep on speaking. And he said, and don't be silent. He says, why? For I'm with you. You hear that? For I'm with you. We need to repeat these words into our heart and our soul. Don't you think? He's with us. Jesus is always with us. We know him. He's with us. He goes with us everywhere we go. He is with us everywhere we go. And we need to remember that in the everywhere we go, that he is with us, right? It's important for us to do that. Everywhere we go. So my speech and proclamation were not persuasive words of wisdom, but powerful demonstration by the Spirit, so that your faith may not be based on men's wisdom, but on God's power. And he said to Paul in the night vision, he said, don't be afraid, but keep on speaking. He says, I'm with you everywhere you go. He goes, for I'm with you, and no one will lay a hand on you, and I like this to hurt you, right? Because I have what? What does he say? I have many people in this city. 
I thought that was interesting too. Many, many people in this city. Lots of times you may want to give up. There's times I, I would want to give There's times I wanted to give up and say, this is too hard. <laughs> and God says, yeah, it is. <laughs> That's what he always tells me. Hard, Lord, this is too hard for me to do. He says, I know. <laughs> Can't you get that in your head? It is too hard. That's why you need me to do it through you, right? Instead of me trying to do it, right? And so, so many times, <laughs> yeah, Paul, he's a, he was afraid, ready to give up, but Jesus comes to him in a vision. And listen, in these desperate times, sometimes when it seems like God is so far away, you cry out to him and cry out to him and cry out to him like, where's the answer? Listen, keep holding on, keep persevering, don't give up, because you know what? God's going to do something supernatural, and he's going to let you know that he's right there. I've experienced that in my life every time. When I'm ready to throw in the towel, there's times when God says a word through somebody or a scripture comes through something else, and all of a sudden, that little switch turns on and says, oh, I'm such a fool. <laughs> it's so true. I do. I feel that way. I really feel that way. There are many times that I'm not sure what to say. There, are, there have been times I said nothing, even though the Spirit of the Lord was trying to prod me to do something. Everybody ever been there? Ever been there? You're out there, and you know you need to say something about Jesus to somebody, and something is suppressing you back. Something's suppressing you back. When God's saying, do it, go for it. I'm with you. I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I'm right there. Take a step. Make the statement. We need to do that. So cool. I was thinking about this yesterday. I had a young lady that was here yesterday with these women. I was standing in the back back there, and she come up to a young lady in her 20s probably. And she come up to me. She went to me. She's hugging her. Pastor, 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 you remember me? You remember me? And I looked at her. I said, I do. I don't remember your name, but I remember you. She goes, I work at the breakfast station. I said, really? She says, yeah, 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 yeah. And I hadn't seen her in several months, you know, and I know I gave her a card, invited her to come to church. A long time ago, and she was in the room yesterday. Amen. Praise the Lord. Isn't that awesome? And she had to leave to go to the breakfast station to go back to work. And so, uh, but I'm going to tell you, it makes a difference. You've got to be vocal. You've got to do something. Reach out to somebody. i got all these cards back here on a, on, a, on a table for you to take. They're guest cards. Use them. Give them to people. Listen, people need Jesus. And that's a great way to introduce them to Jesus. And you never know what happened like that young lady yesterday. It was very cool. Cammy, it was so cool to see her. It, she was so happy. I was just really amazing. So a lot of times we think, well, what if I'm rejected? What if nobody likes me? That's going to happen. Listen, I will be rejected. Why? Because Jesus was rejected. Listen, the cross means he was rejected. It's a given. For the Christian life, it should be a given. It's not about being comfortable. It's about being Christ-like. And Jesus was rejected. And if he was rejected, listen, we too are going to be rejected. There are over 7 billion people in our globe. 7 billion people. And listen, and someone needs or wants to talk with each and every one of you. Somebody needs to hear from you. Somebody wants to talk to you. God prepares all of us to speak to someone somewhere. Fill this in. The promise of God's presence guarantees the power of his provision. Write that in. That's good. 
The promise of God's presence guarantees the power of his provision. God will put you at the right place at the right time with the right words. Every time we must not worry and allow God's power to not lead you. He's there for you. Look at Romans 10. Right now, Romans 10, 14 through 15. But how can they call on him they have not believed in? If you haven't believed in him, then you're, you're starting off on the wrong foot. You're in the wrong gate. <laughs> you're on that big wide gate, <laughs> not the narrow gate. Just start in the right place. And how can they believe without hearing about him? Who? Jesus. And how can they hear without a preacher or a person like you, like me, all of us? And how can they preach unless they are sent so I send you every week, you go out the doors and share the gospel with somebody. As it is written, and I love this, how beautiful are the feet of those who announce the gospel of good things. And look what happened. Look, look up in verse 11, uh, back in uh, Acts 18. And it says, and what did Paul do? It says, and he stayed there, what, a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Teaching them to train them, to send them out so they can go and share the gospel. That's what he did. We must do the same, speaking, teaching, encouraging others of the kingdom of God. So I want to give you five things to help you navigate. Listen, on the importance of why we must speak. We must speak. Number one, because when we speak, we, we speak with a unique voice. You have a unique voice. If you heard Billy Graham's voice without seeing him, you would know it was what? Billy Graham, right? Very distinct, very unique, right? We all have a unique voice. But here's the uniqueness that I'm talking about, not the distinctiveness of the voice. The fact is of what you, the stuff that you've been through. All of you have been through stuff in your past. You've been through stuff, and God has delivered you out of it, each of you. And God wants you to speak because your voice is unique to somebody else who may be going through the same battle and struggle that you that God delivered you from. How awesome would that be? You go out there and you speak. You have been through it to get to it. <laughs> Sometimes we got to go through it to get to it. That's the truth. We do. You all have answers to help others navigate through life's challenging, difficult time. Jesus has equipped every one of us with gifts to help others. Listen, you are uniquely you but uniquely his. You are uniquely you, but you are uniquely his when you're saved and you know him. 1 Peter 4.10 says, based on the gift each one has received, he says, use it to serve others as good managers of the varied grace of God. Jesus has given gifts. He has given personalities to each and every one of you. And the life you live will define the love that you give. The life you, listen, the life you live will define the love that you give. There's only one true life worth giving. And Jesus showed us how to do it. Right there. That's love upon all love. That's, that's above everything. We all struggle to share with others how Jesus delivered us. For me, like, Jesus delivered me. <laughs> listen, when I was in sixth grade, I kid you not. Fifth grade, sixth grade. I'll skip here. I'm not going to. When I was in the sixth grade, sorry, Cameron. 
in the sixth grade, I'll never forget this. It's burned in my brain. I was sitting in my desk, my chair, and my teach, sixth grade teacher asked me to come up and to read out of the history book. She said, I want you to read chapter songs out of the history book. It was our study last night, and I want you to read it. Come on up, Phil. Come on up, student Phil. Come on up. So I put it up there. And so the first word was the, T-H-E, right? I stood there, and I couldn't get the first word out. You know why? Because I had a stuttering issue, and I stuttered so bad I couldn't even talk. It's true. I stood up there, and I tried. And I couldn't change the word because... It was in front of me, and they were all looking at it in their books as I was looking at mine. I stuttered. Listen, listen, listen. I'm going to tell you how God can bring you through. My, listen, what I always wanted to do because of that, I would not want to talk to people. I would, I would go inside of myself, and I would not talk to people. I would be an introvert. I would not say nothing. Thank you, man. I would not say anything. And so that's the way I, was, I grew up in my life, not talking. I just kept silent all the time. Then I went in the military, and it was hard to keep silent in the military. <laughs> so, you know, and, but I still had the issue. I still had the problem. And then the Lord uh, allowed me to um, I finally became a Christian and when I turned 27. And then later on in life, I was, uh, uh, I was asked to move up to North Carolina to Fort Bragg to work with the Joint Special Operations Command on the battle staff there, which meant I would have to give briefings to rooms full of thousands of people. You know what? I still stuttered. I still stuttered, even then. That wasn't that long ago. I still, every now and then, that's why I said that up front when I started talking, I couldn't get intellectual out. But listen, I stuttered so bad that I would not say nothing to anybody. But God had put me in front, and I was trusting God, trusting God, giving it to God, trusting God, trusting God. Even now, I've been here two years, and some of you are surprised. <laughs> but see what God does. See what his power does. God takes the weakness in your life, and he turns it around and makes it powerful for each and every one of you and me. And so tell me God isn't real. God is absolutely real because I was standing in front of four four-star generals giving them a plan, and I had to think up. And this is, why I would, this has, this is how I would go uh, get over the stuttering part. I come up with a word I couldn't say. In my mind, that quick, I come up with an alternative word that meant the same thing. I don't know how I did it. Just did it. It just did. It just happened. And to some extent, I'll probably still do that. But see, but God, has delivered me from that. He has given me an opportunity and a platform to speak and to say, and that's why when I look at the verse that says God takes the foolish things of the, uh, in the word, he takes the foolish things of this earth to confound the wisdom of wise people. God takes the foolish things. And I feel very foolish that God would use me for his glory. And I thank the Lord uh, for the opportunity and I don't take it lightly. Number two, we all speak from where we are. <laughs> we have to speak from where we are, stuttering and all. I got to speak from where I am. I got to trust God. God has us where we are for a reason. God has a plan for us to speak to. Everything in our lives and, and where we go, listen, our divine appointments. God leads us to and through. 
Look, Paul left the synagogue and went next door. That's what he did. He goes next door, and the owner of the house gets saved. Verse 7, so he there left there and went to the house of the man named Titius Justice, a worshiper of God, whose house was next to a synagogue. Christmas, the leader of the synagogue, believed the Lord along with his whole household. Many of the Corinthians, uh, when they heard, believed and were baptized. In verse uh, number 3, it says we must speak despite opposition. Sometimes people will not listen. We know parents and kids. Sometimes your teenager will not listen. Right? They refuse to listen, right? If people don't listen to you, listen. Sometimes you got to go somewhere else where they will. That's what Paul did. Say, Mom, I just might not understand. We need to listen. We need to listen. All of us need to listen, right? It's important for us to listen. Look at verse 5. When Silas Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with preaching the message and solemnly testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah, but when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook his robe, told them, your blood is on your own hands. I'm innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Listen, what, listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Just write that down. We are pressured in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but we're not in despair. Ladies, sound familiar? We are persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Look down at verse 13. And since we have the same spirit of faith in keeping with what is written, I believed. Therefore, I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak. Paul had faith. We are never abandoned by God ever, folks. If you believe how can you not speak? You must share his love with others. You cannot be silent. Number four, we speak into the lives of others. Never underestimate the power of your words. You all have the same spirit that was in Paul and Silas. The same Holy Spirit in Paul and Silas is in you. If you're a Christian, your words and placement combined with God's influence makes you powerful in sharing his message. Your words can and will change people's lives, but you've got to open it up and share it with them, even in middle school. Even, especially. Acts 18.23 says, and after spending some time there, he's, he set out, traveling through one place after another in the Galatian territory of Phygia, strengthening all the disciples, training them. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, he says, Therefore encourage one another, and build each other up as you already are doing. When you do speak, it will be encouraging. Your voice matters. And then number five, your voice matters because people matter. Jesus said in verse 10, For I am with you, and no one will lay a hand on you to hurt you, because I have, listen to this, never forget this, folks, I have many people in this city. You guys are that many people. Listen, yesterday, <laughs> we had that She Loves Out Loud. You know, my wife and her sister, they put together a thing, and they went to the Board of County Commissioners for Citrus County, Florida. This is what a voice does. This is what a voice does. Let me tell you something about this. One of the clerks there, whatever he was, I'm not sure what he was, one of the officials that were there came up and told these women, because I know Patricia was there, Deneen, Alicia, 
and Virginia, right? They were there for it. You can see it online. Listen, they were there. One of the guys came up and said, man, you guys are very bold. You guys are very emboldened. You guys are very bold. You know why he said this? He said, because this guy said, I've been here for years, and I've never seen any of them approve anything such as this. So this was a first. Let me, I just want to read you what it says. I'm going to show you how bold it says. The Board of County Commissioners of Citrus County, Florida, proclamation. She loves out loud day. Mm. It says, whereas she loves out loud is a national call to prayer for all women, coast to coast, all across the nation, to pray for the healing of hearts, the future of our children, and that God would be honored in our country. And whereas on February 15, 2020, a powerful group of praying women all across the nation will join together in one mind, one spirit, focused in on gaining victory over challenges of an ever-changing world. And whereas the women of Citrus and surrounding counties will join this prayer movement together, bringing their own story to this tapestry of prayers, laying them before the throne of God, praying his word, believing, expecting healing, hope, forgiveness, and peace to those being prayed for and those praying. Now, therefore, the Board of County Commissioners for Citrus County does hereby proclaim February 15, 2020, as she loves out loud day in Citrus County, Florida. And it was signed this day. And that's what happened in that room, in the commissioning room. People applauded this. God is elevated. Jesus is elevated. You have a voice. And something that would seem impossible, listen, God has a way of making it possible every single time. So you have a voice. You need to make sure you use your voice. Amen? We need to do that. We need to do that. For many people in this city belong to me is what he says. People matter and they must hear. Life or death is in the power of your voice. You can lead people to life eternal or you can just let them go to uh, death forever. Up or down, in or out, they must hear the message of God's saving, sustaining life for the rest of their lives. Folks, we have the message. It's the greatest message on the face of the earth. And God has commanded and commissioned all of us to share. Share his story. That's the only way this church is going to be full. That's the only way that people can get saved. More importantly, people are saved. I want to see people saved. I don't even worry about if the church is full or not. Because I know if we're doing what God wants us and commands us to do, commissions us to do, if we're doing it, if we're sincere about our faith in Jesus, we're going to vocalize what he's done for us in our heart. And when we vocalize what he's done in our heart, you know what's going to happen? The people are going to come. The people are going to come. They're going to fill these seats because they want to hear more of what God has to say to them. I'm so thankful that you guys are here. There's a lot more here than when we first came, and I'm very, very grateful for that. But we're not done. We're just adding more to our army. <laughs> we're getting bigger. We're getting a bigger army. So listen, but we all got to be the soldiers. And we got to go out there and we got to share the message of the gospel. I pray that you do that. And we have resources to help you do that. If you have a hard time talking, that's all right. God will help you through it. I have a hard time talking because I'd stutter. God helped me through that. And now I need to share. And you need to share. And I'll have, I've got, um, I've got, uh, guest cards that you can give away and invite somebody. Just invite them. Invite them. 
A lot of them will come. They say 85% of people, if you invite them, will come to your church. It's amazing, but we've got to invite them. We gotta be ha- and so you've got to walk in consciousness with a conscious effort. You've got to realize that, hey, you know what? God, I'm, listen, Lord, I'm, you're sent, you have sent me out here. Use me to reach somebody else. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for the mighty name of Jesus. We know, God, it's because of you that we have life, breath, we exist, we live. And, Lord, that we're going to live forever because of you, Jesus, not because of us. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would just um, touch our hearts. I pray that our hearts have been touched right now, this, this morning, in this little short hour or whatever. But it's my prayer, more importantly, that, Lord, we have people here that maybe there have not been a voice crying out in the wilderness And believe me, we have a wilderness in our community, and that wilderness is lost people. It's a wilderness out there, and it's dangerous in that wilderness. And there's going to be opposition to our message, but our message is a rescuing, life-saving, fire-snatching from the flames message that can only be delivered by God's people. And I pray that everyone here is God's people, first of all. And if you're not, I want you to invite you to be part of God's church, be part of God's people, not talking about this church, but his church, the body of Christ. By asking Jesus Christ to come into your heart, if you've never done that before in your life, you never said, Jesus, come into my heart, wash my sin away, I invite you right now to do that. Talk to him like you would talk to your friend or anybody else. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I believe what Pastor was talking about. I saw the scripture that proves it. And Lord, I pray and I sense your presence telling me to let go. And Lord, I give you my life. I give you all of my life. All my past life, my present life, and my future life for you. Lord, it's worth it to know that I have everlasting life and fellowship with you, holy God. Come into my heart right now and save me, Lord Jesus. I pray. And I thank you, Jesus, for saving me. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Maybe you prayed to receive Christ as your Savior this morning. If you did, listen, would you just raise your hand just to, so I can just pray for you and rejoice with you this morning? Amen. God sees that hand. Amen. Anybody else? Anybody else? Hold it up. Else? Father, I thank you, Lord, for these precious uh, people here today, my family members. Listen, this is my family, my forever family. And Lord, I pray, God, that you would use us as we go out. Lord, that you would uh, answer prayers for those who come to the altar. Lord, that you be with all of us, Father. Lord, just touch our lives, Father, Lord, each and every day. Help us to be that voice, not be bashful about it, but to be bold, be emboldened. Holy Spirit, embolden all of us to reach our neighborhood and our friends and our family members for Jesus Christ. Lord, we give you praise, we give you honor, and we give you glory for it all. For it's in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all so much. So Oh, how
Yeah, it is. I know. I know. 